What are the brands like in China? There's about 500 brands. What the? <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host Oscar Fuchs. In today's show, I'm talking with AJ Jain, who is a senior car designer. This is a very special episode to me because I grew up in a household of car fanatics. My older brother Daniel could reel off all the statistics about every car model you could think of, and my father always kept a stack of the latest car magazines in the corner of what he called his library, and what everyone else in the household called the downstairs toilet. I had absolutely no interest in cars, and while I think I always quite enjoyed the scorn that this elicited, I couldn't help but also feel like I was missing out on something. So today's episode is not just an amazing discussion, which encompasses so much about AJ, about China, and about the very nature of artistic collaboration in a commercialized setting. It also feels like some kind of personal redemption for someone whose answer to the question "What's your favorite car?" has always been blue ones. Thank you so much, AJ. Okay, I'm here with AJ Jain, and AJ, you are. What is your actual title? I am senior manager, head of strategic design. Got it. In short, you are a car designer. Yeah. And you work at one of the big private companies here in China. We're not going to mention the company, are we? Because you are talking in your personal capacity. So, we are going to make sure that there is a distance between you and the official word of the company. Yeah, I believe it's the largest privately owned car OEM in China. There you go. Yeah. What is the object that you have brought in that, in some way, describes your life in China? It's this、um, little sketchbook. So, as a designer, I walk around with a sketchbook all the time. I have until very recently resisted the temptation of going digital. <laughs> the one I've brought here today is actually from my previous employer. It's a, a British car company with a with 90 year anniversary sketchbook. It's the sketchbook I was using between transitioning from my previous job to my current job, and at the last few pages, I've just noticed have a, a few additions by my daughters with、uh, pink. Fluorescent、uh, felt pens. <laughs>、um, that kind of sums it up because、uh, my daughters were born here in Shanghai. They've lived all their life here, five years and two years, contributing to my creativity here. Oh, how lovely! <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure I would buy the car that she had just tried to draw. <laughs> it looks a little bit surreal, uh, but uh, the rest of the drawings look very、really、technical. Oh, you've got no vision. <laughs> <laughs> This is why you're doing your job and I'm doing mine. <laughs> That is beautiful, and I think it's such an amazing insight into what you do. I mean, as a car designer, is it basically mainly sketching? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's creation. It's it's coming up with ideas. It's 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 a lot of drawing. Drawing is the language of car design, especially when you work in different countries with different languages, different disciplines. You're talking to engineers. You're talking to marketing people. There's only one quick way of expressing ideas, and I think this works for most. Any creative field.、Mm. This is where I'm jealous because I'm a terrible drawer. I can't sketch to save my life. No way. It's like anything. Of course, there are many people who are born with the talent, and there are others who hone the talent. And it's like anything with practice.、Uh, you just get better and better at it. It's a fluency that comes from practicing. Right. And and which one are you? 
I thought I had talent, but then I went to college in Switzerland, and there I realized that I didn't have talent. But what I did have was it was like a boot camp. I mean, literally, first day of college, we had to draw 500 cubes, 1,000 lines, uh, <laughs> you know. So it was yeah, practice, 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 and just build fluency. And that was in Switzerland. So yeah. what was that school then? It's called the Art Center College of Design. Um, its original campus is in Pasadena in California. And uh, in the 80s, I think they decided that they wanted to create a global footprint of design colleges. So they created this college in Switzerland. It is now the private residence, I believe, of Shania Twain. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's this beautiful old chateau with a farmhouse overlooking Lake Geneva, overlooking the French Alps. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. Well, there's a connection I did not mm. think would come up in this conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so for you, like that was your first foray into the specialization of car design or had you had any experience before? Yeah, I was 17. I know I'd just come straight out of uh, school. So I just knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, you knew since when? Poof, three years old. Oh, right. You're one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, been drawing cars ever since I can remember and playing with cars and I think most fascinating man-made object there is. This is where? So where were you growing up? I was growing up in India, teenage years in Chennai and early years in Mumbai. Okay. Maybe this is a good chance to actually work out how the hell you got to China because I'm thinking about your object and you said that you were transitioning at that point between a British company before you came to Shanghai. So what is the whole timeline then? At 17, I left India to go study in Switzerland. I had an internship in 1994 at Opel in Germany, after which I went back to college, finished my college, graduated in 95. I moved to work in Cologne in Germany. I was there uh, until uh, 97. Hang on, was this still Opel? No. No, this was at Ford. Mm. Big American influence in the company and my colleagues. Uh, and this was your first proper job then, This right? was my first proper job, yeah. Right. And that was already in car design? Yeah, that was as a car designer. Yeah, I was working on the rear view mirrors of the Ford Focus um, and um, odds and ends and door handles. That was one fine rear view mirror. Wow. <laughs> AJ, great job. <laughs> But presumably, because it was your first job, you already felt like, wow, I've made it. Like, even though it's just this small mirror, I shouldn't complain or... Uh, there was a moment when I was complaining and a 55-year-old <laughs> engineer came up to me and, uh, and told me how lucky I was because he thought he was going to be designing. And uh, by the time he finished his engineering college, got his job and went into an engineering department, he realized it's not the same thing. So uh, that made me realize it's quite a fortunate position to be in. Yeah. So even within the company, you had an exalted role. Yeah. Usually in a technical center, an engineering center, there can be over 10,000 engineers and, you know, just a handful, 50, 60 designers. They don't have the same education or the same expertise as the other engineers. And then I like to say we've got this superpower where we can actually visualize the future product. Everybody else can look at it in numbers and spreadsheets and uh, projections and charts. Uh, engineers can look at it a little bit uh, at a time. Uh, we're the only ones who paint the full picture because from the first sketch to when it gets into production on the road takes about five years. Oh, wow. Yeah, And that means what I'm drawing now, I've got to think is got to be trend setting or leading in five years time. 
and then it has to sell for another 10 years. So that mm. means it has to be current for the next 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you do have to have a certain amount of, of futuring. By, by contrast, uh, fashion design is just thinking about the next season. Mm. So I think it's somewhere between fashion and architecture because an architect better get that building right for the next 50 to 100 years. Yeah. Car design somewhere in between. Well, we only made it as far as Ford. So what happened next? Yeah, I, I moved to uh, Daewoo in the UK and I lived in Brighton and Hove, which was a different experience. How long were you in the UK for? I was there for four and a half years. Um, yeah, the Asian financial crisis happened. Daewoo went bankrupt. So I found this great opportunity for working at a very iconic brand in Sweden called Saab. Oh, Saab, yeah. Yeah. And that was where in Sweden? I was working in Gothenburg. Seems to be a pattern. Saab went bankrupt. Um, and This I, is all your fault, AJ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, even the college I went to closed down. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> So this was the third time. Uh, so I moved to uh, a place that I used to apply to almost every time I was in a crisis and looking for a job. A dream car design studio, I'd say, which is Renault in France. Renault, okay. Uh, it's um, close to Versailles, so south of Paris. Nice. I was at Renault for six years, uh, two years in France. Uh, then they sent me to India for two years to set up a design studio in India at Renault. And then I came back and going there was uh, fantastic. Okay. Well, there are so many questions I could ask, but I guess I'll save that until we do Mosaic of France. <laughs> Let's go to the next step. Was that China then? Yep. China's where the car industry is booming. It's where all the jobs are right now. It's where there's so much happening here. And I had a friend who was coming to Shanghai, and I, and I knew that the only car design jobs were in Shanghai. I applied to my previous employers, uh, ex-colleagues of mine. They were at what used to be MG Rover. And it was perfect, perfect job for me to come here. Um, that was nine years ago. Most of the time, I work in a, a very China-dominated environment. Uh, in my last job, there was a, just a couple of us, and then for a while, it was only me as a foreigner in a, in a department of about 200 people. And uh, again, I just find them so optimistic and enthusiastic uh, with a nice dash of ambition and, uh, and willingness to go the extra mile and, and, and achieve great things. Uh, I would call it maybe a hunger which you do get in Europe, but I guess it's a different kind of uh, feeling. A little more entitlement in Europe. Um, right. You know, everybody points out the young emperors when they talk about young Chinese kids, but there's also the side of them really wanting to prove to their parents that they are good at doing what they're doing and, and, and you know, shake off their mollycoddled little emperor image. Whereas uh, I, I think most of the European young guys would not really listen to an old guy in the studio. It would be more of a competitive uh, way that try to show their superiority and the ambition. Mm. Younger Chinese designers, they want to learn first. They want to assimilate the knowledge. When they think they've learned enough, they start becoming entitled or challenging or competitive. But Which, then they've earned it, right? They've earned it, for sure. And it's, it's what the Chinese car industry is doing right now, where they've realized that we've learned how to make cars. 
we've leapfrogged in terms of technology. Uh, we've you know gone into electric cars, and we are probably better than anyone else before. And we've done it faster than anyone else, uh, way faster than the Koreans before them and the Japanese before them. So you see this uh, confidence that's just building in, in just the same way. You see it on the country scale and I see it on the personal scale. Yeah. For me, I'm not a car fanatic. Mm -hmm. So when I see a Chinese car, I don't really pay attention to it. Like, what are the brands like in China? There's about 500 brands. What the... <laughs> There's about 500 car brands, and all of them are difficult to really know. Many of them belong to a big conglomerate. You'd think it's a different brand, but actually it's part of Dongfeng Group or the, the, the other groups. And every state, every region seems to have these big industrial players that are big employers, and they've got multiple brands. And then there's also all these little startups. I don't know this for a fact, but I can imagine that somebody up top says, oh, look, we manufacture way too many cars, but we can't shut those factories down because a lot of people are dependent on those jobs. And that's what we use to bring people out of poverty into the middle classes. And now we've got to do something else with those factories. And somebody says, yeah, we're going to make uh, delivery drones or, or Mars exploratory vehicles or whatever. And the fact that they've got their eyeballs in the future is just going to propel this country further and further. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's pivot back to you, because I'm sure there are people out there who understand cars more than I do, and they're shouting, ask them about the car design. So here's what I'm going to ask you, first of all. So now you're in this current setup. Um, how many people are in your design studio? And why don't you talk me through all the different people who you work with? So... Um, I mean, firstly, no matter how well you know cars, I don't think you anybody appreciates that a car has over 30,000 different pieces to go together. 30,000, yeah. yeah. It is a really complicated piece of industrial engineering and mass production. I guess when you compare with a piece of furniture, that's... Well, you compare with a mobile phone as well, you know, which is which people consider very sophisticated manufacturing. You, you take it apart and there's not that much mm. that goes in there. And there are a lot of regulations to keep you alive in a crash, to keep you safe, to keep you moving. You're moving at 100 kilometers an hour. And everything that you touch or feel or can see on the car has been designed by somebody. So while the dream of car design or the image of a car designer is somebody who's sitting and sketching this beautiful exterior, there's a lot of putting together little bits and pieces. And, and, and in a design studio, we've got designers who design the exterior, but then you'll have some who are specializing in lamps and other details. Uh, we split up into six different functions. There's people who do the branding. There's people who do all the communication, all the publicity, the logos, the, the way we project ourselves beyond the cars, um, including the motor shows, the dealerships. Typically, a design studio will have some influence on the dealership, uh, the point of sale, the colors, uh, even the costumes of the hostesses, uh, right. uh, you know. Which is also part of car design, I Which guess. is part of car design. Right. And then you've got what I do, people who do strategy, where we look at the plan for the next 10 years, look at synergies, look at different products, look at different differentiation points, uh, try to create a vision for the future that can then be translated into the, all the other projects. Today, you know, you've got people who are doing the software or the interaction, the screen, the human-machine interface, the HMI. And then there's uh, what we call color material finish designers. So 
A car is the only product that's sold in a multitude of different colors, specifications, we call them trim levels. Each of them should look homogenous. You take shoes, for example, you get a pair of Adidas trainers and there's maybe three or four color choices on one physical object. You know, Apple did five different colors and it's like, wow, there's five. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas we probably got 10, 15 different uh, permutations, combinations, and then all those colors and all those... Uh, finishes need to work together and then there's always special editions, sport editions. Then we've got cast modelers, uh, physical clay sculptors, fabrication specialists who make things out of harder materials. Uh, so th that, that level of craft in there. It's like a massive factory. I call it the creativity factory. Yeah. <laughs> then we've got to have an area to take the car outside because when you look at a car inside, it's not in its right environment, so you've got to take it outside to look at it. In reality, in nature, and against other cars with natural light, um, I don't know, I would say it's like going to the zoo and looking at a tiger or going to the Serengeti and seeing you know, the lions take a hunt or something. And of course, you're not working in isolation. You have to work with the marketing team. You have to work with the engineers, right? Like you have to work out what looks good, but what is actually possible too, right? Yeah, unfortunately we do. <laughs> <laughs> what is a general interaction that you are likely to have with either department? Uh, the marketing department's a tricky one because um, they know what's selling right now. They have a lot of data and it gets more and more. They have a lot of intel. They know what's successful. They know what's hot. And very often that clouds their judgment of what could be successful in the next five years. So it's really difficult to try and explain to them that they need to look beyond today. We have a hunch which is all we have because we don't have their kind of data. We've seen a trend towards this. We've got to extrapolate that. So that's with marketing. How about then with the engineers, for example? Most of the engineers are very, very uh, specialized. And organizationally, they're also very siloed. I remember in my first job, there was a lady, she was called badge component engineer. And she was fighting with the water jet engineer because the badge was interfering with the water jet <laughs> on the back of the Ford Focus. Uh -huh. So 30,000 parts, each of them has a specialization of engineers who know how they're made. And then they probably have different suppliers for each of these parts who have another expertise. So yeah. they look at really, really, really a small section of what the big picture is. And they get very uh, fixated on that, focusing on their project or their car and they don't look at the bigger picture of the brand, of the whole lineup of cars, which is really challenging. Right. It's the interaction between the idealism, the creativity of designing versus the practicality, the cost control of the reality of making this car, right? Yeah. Thank God we have something called concept cars. And that's when designers can show a vision of the future without the constraints uh, and, and have a little bit of uh, breathing room, as it were. But then you get people looking at it and saying, oh, why didn't you make that car? <laughs> you know, they just uh, don't get it. <laughs> why didn't right. that company make exactly that? <laughs> because of the cost constraints, Because right? of the cost, because right. of the time, because of the technology. Right. So, yeah, concept cars are rolling creative ideas. Uh, 
they're the haute couture of fashion. How interesting. Yes, I can see exactly what you mean with the parallel between car design and fashion design now. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen cars on the market where you think, oh, I can tell exactly what went wrong in the process where perhaps the designer went too far or perhaps the engineer reined things in? Like, can you see on the road examples of when that's happened? Ooh, I really try not to judge other people's work. What we should be getting judged by, employed by, is by what we put in mm. to the job. Mm. And we are a little bit of a snobbish industry where a designer who's done a lot of uh, concept cars without any engineering constraint seems to have a very high profile. Whereas designers who've been slogging it out and are actually extremely competent and good at their job don't seem to have such a high profile. Yeah. It's such a big collaborative effort, right? Yeah. What about then the car that you see on the street where you think, oh, I wish I had designed that one? Oh, there's a lot of those. Um, I'll tell you what the ones that are even worse to look at are the ones that you look at and you say, I had that. Ah. Five years ago, I was there. I had just done it, and my boss didn't pick it up, and my <laughs> engineers thought it was too crazy, and there have been a few of those, and that's the one that you really look at with envy and a little bit of regret. Totally. Yeah. Because it's not like you can say, right, screw you, I'm going to go make it by myself. <laughs> yeah, just... yeah, I wish. <laughs> I, I, I hope that's where the in- industry is going to evolve with all these new technologies. and right. um, 3D yeah. printing at home. 3D printing, manufacturing your own cars, open source <laughs> manufacturing, you know, zap you the drawings and somebody will make it in somewhere in uh, Tianjin or Wuhan. Yes. <laughs> Well, we're talking about the future. So what are the trends coming down the pipeline that we should be looking forward to? It's funny because two years ago, if you asked me what I was doing and I said, you know, I'm designing electric cars, it was like I'm on the cutting edge of car design beyond uh, maybe designing a Ferrari or the craziest concept cars. And it looks like somehow that bubble's already burst while all the European companies are now getting into gear to start making electric cars China is going to move into hydrogen and fuel cells. How does that then affect the design work, for example? When we move from a horseless carriage, the horse disappeared and then we could design this area to put the engine in and then put the wheels next to the engine and change the cabin. And then from that, over 100 years, the engine cabins almost pretty much stayed the same. Then electric cars come along and then you say, hey, We don't need an engine cabinet, but you've got this great big battery to worry about. There's also an aesthetic element. You know, um, when you're designing a fuel combustion car, you've got things like exhaust pipes and air vents to show that kind of uh, roaring power. And then you get into electric cars and then you're like, ooh, I want it to look like a Dyson vacuum cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) Look efficient and aerodynamic and Mm. soundless and gives up nothing dirty. 15 years ago, my my ex-boss and a good friend of mine had posted on LinkedIn, what does electricity look like? And that's a really interesting thought that gets me moving. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to him the other day, I said, um, you've got to start thinking what hydrogen looks like. He said, said, white. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we're going to be driving down the street in these clouds. (laughs) Uh, It certainly feels like it on a scooter in Shanghai. (laughs) Yes, because we haven't even talked about the sounds, because you have to also design into the car, like no rattles, right? Yeah, um, 
actually, um, uh, the latest BMW concept, the sound is done by Hans Zimmer of all the Hollywood movies. Oh. So all the soundscape of the noises of the sound. So so there is also this discipline of, of sound design, uh, which is just coming into our industry. Oh, wow. You know, all the bings and the bongs that you have. Obviously, <laughs> Apple phones or any mobile phones, they've got right. this sound universe. Uh, that also links in with their marketing and ad- advertising. So, yeah, sounds. Yes. There's, there's going to be all kinds of things. Uh, Even the little haptics. Yeah, little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, you're making my mind swim a little bit. There's just too much that goes into what you do. I can see now. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get yeah. it. And what about you then? I mean, we talked at the beginning about how you've come from India to Switzerland to Sweden to France to England to Germany. I, <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing. I can sort of see your progression. Just hearing your story, I can see it as... One, it's you chasing adventure, but you're also trying to run away from becoming redundant in your own field, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, the field changes. I mean, just drawing, uh, we used to draw on a certain kind of paper. That paper stopped. We got on to drawing on computers. It's a new skill that I had to learn. So there's all these technologies keeps throwing stuff at you and you have to keep up with it. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of that development, you said drawing and writing and sketching, and I, I'm looking at your object still sitting here between us on the table. Maybe it's making me think about my family. My my father is an engineer. My brother is an engineer. My <laughs> uncle is an engineer. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who's not an engineer. You're not quite an engineer, but you're as close as an engineer as I've had in the studio. So I hope that my father is in some way proud of me for interviewing you. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure my father will be proud to hear the interview. There you go. AJ, thank you so much. That was fascinating. We are now going to move on to part two. All right. All right, the 10 questions. Yeah. Are you ready? I think so. Question one. Yeah. What is your favorite China-related fact? Um, yeah, this one's interesting because it's uh, kind of related to India. By India banging into China, it means <laughs> all the water flows south. Ah. And all the rivers flow south. So uh, India's got plenty of land and arable land and rivers and fertile plains of the Ganges and what have you. And they've got the luxury of being vegetarians and, and living off the land, whereas uh, China's got to you know, find arable land. And only 2% of the world's arable land is consumed by 20% of the world's population. So that means uh, the Chinese people are super resourceful, whether they cut steps into mountains, they eat different things. And I think that is also what makes them intrinsically programmed for innovation. Mm. Survival is their innovation. Right. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? No, I don't. And if I did, I think my daughters would correct the pronunciation and the tones (laughs) uh, because they call me... The Waigoren. So. Yes. Is there something you hear in the office on a regular basis? Yeah, in um, uh, a lot of my car designer friends are going to go crazy when they hear this. It's a word called dachi. Literally, every foreigner who comes here to design cars is told by his boss, I want dachi. And dachi is something like prestigious or grand or premium. or, or and, and this word drives all the car designers absolutely bonkers <laughs> because a lot of the time the CEO of the company will say dachi. No, this is not dachi enough. You need to be dachi. And, and it's like, what is dachi? <laughs> and it, it's, it's this word that doesn't translate. It's a word that doesn't seem to have any specific meaning but it's it's just something where 
basically your design is not good enough for China. You mm. know, it's not good enough for me, mm. and you got to do better. It's not dachi enough. So. Your everyday bane of your life is something I've never even heard of. <laughs> so that just shows that there are different lives being led here in China. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite destination within China? Shanghai. I've uh, traveled quite a bit in uh, China. I've moved around all my life. I've lived in many different places. Shanghai gives me the impression that I'm living in a different city every day. Everything just constantly dynamic. The city reinvents itself, as it were. Five years ago, I was in Pasadena in the college that I went to, and these kids were drawing what they thought was the future of transportation. And then they asked me how I went to work, and I told them that I scan a QR code and get on any bicycle, get on a metro, then get off the metro and take my Segway, and then <laughs> zip. Into my office, and that sounded more futuristic than some of the things that they were conceptualizing. So, yeah. If you left China, what would you miss the most, and what would you miss the least? I'd, I'd miss everything I've, I've just told you about: the dynamism, the you know, the reinvention, the excitement, the convenience of everything, the actual efficiencies of how things. If they didn't work today, they are definitely working tomorrow. And what about anything that you wouldn't miss? Around with my VPN. <laughs> one of the biggest conveniences in China is to do with the internet, and one of the biggest frustrations in China is to do with the internet. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's yin and yang, baby. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the Chinese experience. You can't have both ways. You can't have only the convenience without uh, some of the frustration. And currently, they blocked WeChat in India. So now people keep trying to contact me through WhatsApp. Uh, you know, I've got to fiddle around and yeah. try to get online, and they're trying to call me and messaging me, wondering why I'm not responding to their messages. Yes, it is a interesting window into a potential future, right? Yeah. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? I just came back from um, from Beijing Motor Show, and you know, this new cult of journalists are all people with rigs around themselves holding cameras and, and filming themselves next to cars. They're like girls dressed up for KTV or a nightclub. <laughs> uh, they could be selling cosmetics, you know. I don't, and, and wonder, are they scripted? What, what do they say? You know, so it just everything in every respect felt out of context of the rest of the world. Yeah, that's interesting because that really is how the world treats the car that you've spent five years pushing through. Like, isn't that weird when you finally see your baby come onto the market? It is weird. In fact, uh, it's like being a parent. You hope you did the best job you could. Your kids are never going to turn out exactly how you wanted them to. <laughs> you still have a certain amount of pride and a certain amount of misgivings and uh, regrets. Funny. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all of that every, every few years. Well, I was saying it's your baby. Where's well, a yeah. metaphor? But, but yeah, you really, yeah, no, you really... it is. It is it's, it's your child. It's your baby. <laughs> wow. Where is your favorite place to go out, to eat or drink or just hang out? This one is a question I've thought about a lot because... It depends when you ask me this. You know, there was a time I used to love Unico. I used to love Yonkanglu. We used to go to Sugar before that. So right now, the nicest place for us to hang out is right opposite our house, uh, less than 100 meters away. There's a little place called Porcelino. I'm sure next week it'll be something else. <laughs> it'll be another place. What is the best or worst purchase you have made in China? Every time I buy something on Taobao, it's the worst thing you can buy. 
impulse buying things. You look at a picture, you don't know what you bought. At one point of time, I decided I'm going to quit smoking, so I ended up buying mahogany e-pipes. <laughs> That looked like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> oh, an actual pipe? Like uh, actual mahogany pipes oh. that look like pipes but were e-pipes. Oh, this is your midlife crisis. And they, they uh, not a good thing. I, I did buy a projector, one of my first purchases from Taobao. And that was a good one? It's still in the box. I haven't opened it. I don't know. Dude! <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst impulse purchaser then. <laughs> yeah. there, there's an interval between this being recorded and it going out. So I'll check up on you and see if you've actually unwrapped it by now. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? Um, but one I send quite often, uh, and I've been known to send it to my friends, is the uh, Happy Friday sticker. Uh, I don't. I don't actually look for the sticker. It just comes up when I write TGIF, and it's become a thing that I send a whole bunch of friends. Uh, Happy Friday! Super cute. <laughs> it's so simple, but I've never seen it before. Actually, what is your go-to song to sing at KTV? I've never been to KTV. Nijinda show one. Yeah, and KTV is dodgy. Ah, oh, okay. I know what image you have of them. No, yeah. it's about singing joyfully, sir. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, uh, I, I, and now I'm never going to get a chance because uh, my daughters have got microphones at home yes. with a, their speaker system and they will never let me. They own them. They yes. are, so they want me to appreciate their singing. Ah. You know, shock do 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 or whatever. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, going to so, be your song. Uh, no, I'm not allowed to sing that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. What other China-related media sources do you rely on? Uh Sitting and drawing cars all day, I've got a lot of time to listen to things. I can multitask that. And I started with audiobooks and I got into podcasting. So I listen to a hell of a lot of stuff. There's uh, obviously Mosaic of China now. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> I, I, I subscribe to The Economist and I listen to the whole Economist cover to cover. And that has a very, very good mm. uh, China section. Mm. There's the Seneca podcast, which is very good. BBC News always seems to have something on China. but Yeah. For me, the, the Economist uh, China sections, every week you get the best bits. Yeah. AJ, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a great experience being here. And before I let you go back to work, probably, yeah. the last thing I will ask you is, who would you recommend that I interview for the next series of Mosaic of China? I'd recommend somebody who quit his career and moved into a very creative field and is prolific in his work and expressive in his work and very successful, a guy called Su. Mm. And obviously, Shanghai transformed him. Great. Mm. I can't wait to meet you. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time today, AJ. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. So the biggest update I have to share is that after around a decade in China, AJ and his family have recently said goodbye. They are now in Mumbai, where AJ has taken up the position of Head of Advanced Design at the Indian auto company Mahindra. What that also means is that we are now free to say that at the time of this interview, AJ was working at the Chinese car company Geely. That's spelt G-E-E-L-Y when written in English. And the company he worked at before that was SAIC Motor. I'm also relieved to report that AJ had found an apartment in Mumbai, had unpacked his container from Shanghai, and had moved his father up from Bangalore just before the country went into its most recent coronavirus lockdown. So I wish him 
and anyone else listening to this in India, all the very best. As with the previous 20 episodes of the season, if you want to hear more from the conversation with AJ, there's an extra 15 minutes in today's premium version of the show, which you can subscribe to on iFadian in China or on Patreon everywhere else. Head to mosaicofchina.com for instructions on how to subscribe, and here's a little taste of what you'll get. It's such a dynamic and changing world right now. There's going to be self-driving cars, self-driving buses. That focus, I still see it driving around. I still see it in movies. I see it in America. I see it all over the world, actually. Yes. They don't have a hundred years of knowledge, so they make a lot of mistakes, and then there's a lot of things need fixing. But that all adds to the excitement and the experience. At one point, there was 150, I believe, new electric car startups in China. It's going to be very difficult very soon to tell the difference between a European car or a, or a Chinese car. Yeah. You can change direction. You can change the course of a country. There are some nice connections between AJ and other episodes of the show. First of all, the object he chose, the sketchbook, was the same object chosen by the journalist Eric Olander from season one, episode three. They both obsessively carry their objects to jot down ideas, be they in words or in pictures. AJ said that car design sits in between the worlds of fashion design and architecture. So be sure to check out the episodes with the fashion designer Octo Chung from season one, episode thirty, and the architect Wendy Saunders from episode twelve of this season. When AJ said about the Chinese that survival is their innovation, this is the same as the favorite fact from Gina Lee, the innovation CEO from season one, episode six. And finally, AJ's choice of Shanghai as his favorite destination in China was the same as Jorge Lucio, the marketer at Coca-Cola from season one, episode five, and Zhang Jiuyun, the humanities professor at Shanghai Jiao Tong University from episode three of season two. Last but not least, don't forget to check out the images alongside today's show on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, or connect with me on my WeChat ID Mosaic of China, and I'll add you to a listeners group there. Among a bunch of images, you'll find AJ with his object, his favorite Happy Friday WeChat sticker, and a selection of him in action, including with the geometry range of electric cars that he designed for Geely. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Thank you, as always, for listening, especially if you've made it this far, and we'll be back again next week.